So they go up to Gibeon, the, the, the men of, of Abner and Ishbosheth, they meet there, and then David and his men, or, or Joab and his men, come and they meet them at the pool of Gibeon. And so they sat down, and just picture this one on one side of the pool, this group on one side of the pool, and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner gets this great idea. He says to Joab, Let the young men now arise and compete before us. In other words, let them take the battle. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Who was told every lightning bolt where it should go? Abner and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out to Gibeon where David was. And Joab, who was representing David and his servants, went out and met with them by the pool of Gibeon. Now this was a fascinating confrontation between two similar men. Abner and Joab were tough, mean, military men who were completely devoted to their cause. Abner suggested some kind of contest or duel between a select group of his men and Joab's men. When the two groups of twelve men met, it quickly turned into a mutual bloodbath. Yet David's men, under the command of Joab, prevailed. Now let's join Pastor Rob to learn the outcome of this confrontation. Inepotism is the practice whereby those who, with power influence, are favoring relatives or friends, especially by giving them jobs, and, and that's been going on since the beginning of time. And nepotism is not always a bad thing. It's not always a bad thing. After all, who would know better the intimate dynamics of things relating to a family or a family business or, or a dynasty other than the one who was a part of it, those who share the same vision of it? Those, those are the people who, who know. And it would, seem, it would seem very necessary and make a lot of sense for someone to put a family member in power. David had Joab. Joab was his nephew and commander over his army. And Joab's two younger uh, brothers were among David's mighty men. But Abner, the son of Ner, verse 8, commander of Saul's army, he took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. This gentleman, Ishbosheth, is, is not mentioned in. Uh, as being one of Saul's son, sons, ex- except in 1 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 33. Up to this point, all we know is that uh, of the three other sons who died in battle with Saul when he was um, attacked by the Philistines, this name, Ishbosheth, means man of shame. His name also is Ishbaal, or Ashbaal, which means fire of Baal. It's interesting that Ishbosheth was not in the battle. Remember, his three brothers were killed. Why wasn't he there? Was he not equipped? Was he too young? I don't think he was too young. What was he doing? Why wasn't he there? 
Maybe they were keeping him back just in case that the whole family isn't wiped out. Maybe that's what they did. We don't really know. Scripture doesn't really tell us. But notice that they took Ishbosheth, the son of, of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. Now, Mahanaim, and I'm, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, it's on the east side of the Jordan. If you were look, uh, to look at a map of Israel, like if you were to look at Israel, if you're, as you're looking at me, here is the west part of Israel in the east, and the Jordan River goes down like this. Well, on the eastern side of the Jordan River, there's a mountain range called uh, the Gilead. Mount Gilead, it's a mountain range. Well, right on the other side of that mountain is this Mahanaim. And it's a very fortified place. And it's a rocky crag kind of place where you, to get into it, you've got to go down into this little ravine. It's very hard to get into and, and therefore very easy to uh, fortify and to keep safe those beyond. And so this is where Ishbosheth's rule seems to have been pretty solid in that area. And he not only ruled over the eastern side of the Jordan River, but also all the, the tribes of the north he was ruling over. And so, verse 9, he made, Abner made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites. Now, if you notice this word Asherites, it's spelled with a U. Now, Asher is spelled with an E, usually, so that's a, a, a misspelling right there. Um, in Judges chapter 1, verse 31, it tells us that it is the Asherites with the correct spelling. So that's just a spelling thing. But notice, he made him king over Gilead, over the Asherites, from those on the Asher in the, in the north part of Israel, over Jezreel, over Ephraim, over Benjamin, and over all Israel. And then in verse 10, it says, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years. Only the house of Judah followed David. And so Ishbosheth, this young youngest son of Saul. Now what's interesting is we know that David ruled from Hebron for seven and a half years, but it, but it says here that this man only ruled for two years. So what they think really happened is after the death of Saul, there was some time lapsed. There was some time in between after Saul died before Ishbosheth came into power. Maybe even a handful of, you know, like uh, three or four years or five years or whatever. Uh, before he would, because we know that after he ruled for two years and then he was killed, and then it was after that that David would take over all of Israel. And we'll look at that as we go. But David was in the will of God. And it wasn't going to be easy either. Do you find being in the will of God is easy? Sometimes it is. There's a great blessing being in the will of God. I think there's great peace when you're in the will of God. But if you're in the will of God, the enemy, the last thing he wants is for you to be in the will of God. And there will be warfare. There will be challenges to that. So don't be discouraged when you're in the will of God and things aren't going the way you think they should go. You're probably doing exactly the right thing. Because if, you're, if you are in the will of God and you're doing what God has called you to do, there will be opposition. And think of David. You know, years before this, 10 to 15 years prior to all this, he was anointed king and he still hasn't seen it come to fruition. And now he's just the king over Judah. And notice David's not pouting. He's not stamping his feet. I wanted the whole thing, and I'm only getting a little piece of it. You know, he's not, you know, having a fit. He's not 
beating people up and, and, and trying to make things happen. David was very patient. He waited upon the Lord. There's a good lesson for us, to wait upon the Lord. I need to learn to wait upon Him, to be patient. It's not that God needs more time. He's usually waiting for me to get into a place where He can use me or use us. See, God can do anything, but he likes to use us, and he just doesn't use us whenever he, he, he prepares us. So that when we, he uses us, we don't touch the glory that belongs to him. Oftentimes, he uses you unbeknownst to you. And I think that's really wonderful when he does, because then if we knew that we did some big thing and it was a really huge deal to the kingdom of God, we'd all be going, yeah, <laughs> went to Harvard, that's why. God's going, no, it does have nothing to do with Harvard. Has nothing to do with RIT, has nothing to do with U of R, has nothing to do with the Eastman School of Music, it has nothing to do with any of that. My spirit within you, that is all that is needed. But David was in the will of God, and it wasn't going to be gravy train. One author said, To be in the will of the Lord, as David was, virtually guarantees opposition. And I can say amen to that. Ever since uh, Pastor Jeff left and, and the Lord put me in this place, and I know that he did. I didn't know it and, and for, for years. I just just kind of patient. He, he, he did all that. Let me tell you, the opposition met me. I had a, a honeymoon period. That, that's what pastors call a honeymoon period, that first several months when you're in the pastorate. Everything's going well. The Lord's answering everything. Everyone thinks you're wonderful, you know. And then the honeymoon wears out, and nobody likes you anymore. <laughs> Nobody likes you. Everything you do is wrong. I can't believe he said that. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. These things happen. But I've seen this myself. Verse 11, it says, And the time that David was in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. Again, um, Hebron, right to the west of the Dead Sea. And, and based on verse 10 above, it appears that Ishbosheth reigned in that last two years of David's seven and a half year reign in Hebron. But notice uh, verse 11, it says, At that time when David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah, it was seven years and six months. I'd like to take you just on a quick tour of where David has been and, and how he got to the place where he's at. If you remember in Psalm, uh, not Psalm, excuse me, in First Samuel chapter 16, Remember that God told Samuel to go to the house of Jesse, who was in Bethlehem. And so Samuel, being the obedient prophet that he was, he didn't ask God questions. He didn't argue with him. And Saul was then king on the throne. And God tells Samuel, Samuel, go to the house of Jesse. And there's a son there that I want you to anoint. And you remember, he goes and he sees uh, Jesse's seven sons. And he looks at the oldest, the tallest, the handsome guy. He said, surely this must be the one God says to him. Nope, I've refused him. What about him? He look, he's got a great smile, got a great set of teeth. No pimples, Lord, look at him. What a good-looking young guy. Certainly he must be the one. Nope, he's not the one. But this next guy, he's got, he looks great. He's, he's got all the fashion going for him. He's got the tats all over him. He looks great. He's even got a, a ring in his nose. God says, no, I refused him. Finally, he's like, do you have any other sons, Jesse? Oh, yeah, there's David. You better go get him because we're not going to sit until he comes. So he does. He comes, and the Lord said, that's the one, anoint him. The one that nobody wanted. And so 
Samuel anoints David. And then from that moment on, David is a marked man. He works for Saul. Remember, he was a, a gifted guitar player. He was a gifted musician, so he goes in before Saul's court. And whenever the evil spirit came upon Saul, David would play the harp, and it would cause the, the, the spirit to dispel and, and, and soothe Saul. But then as David became more prosperous and began to go out into battle and gain the victories, and all the women are singing about him, oh, as soon as the women start singing about a man rather than the king, you better look out. He's going to be a headless man before long. And David was hunted. He was hunted by Saul. And you remember, in his desert wanderings, there came a point, and I'm fast-forwarding here, when he was in the wilderness, that Jonathan, Saul's son, who was a best friend of David, he arose and he went to David. This is in 1 Samuel 23. He went to David in the woods, and he strengthened his hand in God, and and said to him, notice... Do not fear, for the Lord, the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you, and you shall be king over Judah? No. Jonathan knew exactly what Samuel had told him, because God says, This man I want to lead over all of Israel. And Jonathan confirmed it to David. He said, You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows it. Would to God that... Jonathan would have lived, and and he could have been David's second-hand man. He would have been a great man. He would have been much better than his, his uncle Joab. He would have been a much better man. But ultimately, David was supposed to rule over all of Israel, not just Judah. And then let's go forward just a few chapters. We're going to get to this, but we'll just look at the first couple of verses here of 2 Samuel chapter 5, because now we're going forward in history what is the ultimate fruition of that? So David, he's anointed. Years go by. He's affirmed in that. He's hunted by Saul. Saul dies. He rules and reigns from Hebron for seven and a half years. And at the end of that, notice what it says in Second Samuel 5, just the first five verses. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron, and they spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you sh-, here it is, notice, all the people know this. They say, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Not just Judah, but over all. They all knew it. Abner knew it. But yet he's going against the will of God, the revealed will of God. That's a very dangerous place to be. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made, an, and made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel David was 30 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 40 years. And Hebron, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. And so what an interesting timeline for David. What a very interesting time. And it was something that required patience. It required faith. David wasn't in any great hurry. We don't have any record of him having a tantrum. He was just waiting upon the Lord. What else is he going to do? And what a wonderful character of the man. He wouldn't even assassinate the king. He wouldn't even let other people assassinate the king. He's like, you know what? If God has called me to this, and here's a, this is such a wonderful lesson. 
If God says he's going to do something, then you don't need to put your gears in forward and try to make it happen for him. You can just rest and wait upon him. And believe me, if it's his will, he will bring it to pass. I'm proof of that. And I know the same is true in your life. He's done the same thing. He does the same things. Why? Because he loves us. But we don't have to stress and fuss and, and, and scrape and kick and fight and scream and bite. We don't need to do any of that. We can just rest. Just rest in the Lord and wait upon him. It's so simple and yet so profound. And yet Abner was not of that ilk. But David was. Saul was not of that ilk, but David was. Notice in verse 12 it says, Now Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, they went out, underline that word, that phrase, went out, from Maenaim to Gibeon. This phrase, went out, is a military term, and it seems to mean a planned military confrontation. And Maenaim was this, um, if you were to, again, look at a map, and the Sea of Galilee is up here, and the Dead Sea is right here. Maenaim is somewhere in the middle of the Jordan, and then just go east, over the Gilead Mountains, right on the other side there, you'll find this place, Maenaim. And Gibeon is roughly seven miles northwest of Jerusalem. And perhaps Abner and the servants of Ishbosheth. It seems that they were going to force the hand of Judah. Because remember, Saul's dead. Ishbosheth's on the throne. Abner put him there. So they're thinking to themselves, ah, let's make a visit to our brothers in Judah. We'll bring some cookies. We'll negotiate peace. And then force them to, you know. No, it doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. So they, they come over the Jordan. They come over to Judah. And it says in Joab, the son of Zeruiah. Zeruiah is a woman. Zeruiah is David's uh, sister and also the mother of Joab and Joab's sons. And the servants of David, notice, and they went out to meet them by the pool of Gibeon. Gibeon is just a little bit northwest of Gibeah, which is the hometown of Saul. So they go up to Gibeon, the, the, the men of of Abner and Ishbosheth, they meet there, and then David and his men, or, or Joab and his men, come and they meet them at the pool of Gibeon. And so they sat down, and just picture this one on one side of the pool, this group on one side of the pool, and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner gets this great idea. He says to Joab, Let the young men now arise and compete before us. In other words, let them take the battle. And, um, and Joab said, Let them arise. You remember when David went out against Goliath, instead of having the, the Philistines and the, and the um, army of Israel come together and for, this, for there to be this mass collateral damage, they just said they're going to send out one captain, and then Israel is going to send out one captain. And whoever wins that wins the whole thing, right? Same thing they're doing here. they got 12 men from uh, David, David's side, and they got 12 men from Abner or Ishbosheth's side, and they're saying, why don't they just get together and have a duel here? And whoever wins, that's the one who's going to be king over everything. And so they arose, verse 15, and went over by number, 12 from Benjamin, followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 from the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his head in his opponent's, or thrust his sword, excuse me, in his opponent's side. And so they all fell down together. That sounds like a really great thing. Sounds very practical. 
all of them, the 12, they go together and they just grab each other and then, you know, and everybody dies. So they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called the Field of Sharp Swords. Kind of a very uh, thoughtful name. You know, very uh, artistic. Uh, it took a while to come up with that, you know. Um, it was just such a, a difficult thing. Which is in Gibeon, in verse 17, it says, So there was a very fierce battle that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. And so it wasn't enough after that had happened, after this bloodbath between these 12 men and these other 12 men, they decide, you know what, if they're all dead, then we're just all, you know, it, it just created mayhem. And now they're fighting each other. And notice that Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. The servants of David were way outnumbered by Israel, way outnumbered by Ishbosheth and Abner. They were just a small, ragtag group of guys against Israel, and yet they had the mastery over them. And what this really shows you is that when God is in control, when God has called something to come to pass, He gives strength that doesn't make sense in the natural. He gives strength. He takes this few in number. Have we seen God do this before? Where he uses something that's just a very few and does something against an innumerable host. It seems to be one of his themes. He takes the small things, the insignificant things, the things that the world doesn't like, the the base things of the world, and he uses those to confound the masses, the millions, the hundreds of millions. He confuses them. He confounds them. And he does the same thing here. And David's reign is going to be rising, 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 and Saul's influence is going to be declining, declining, declining. Why? Is it because David is some great man? No, but David serves a great God. That's the reason, is the great God who is behind David. And David was a man who was obedient to God. Even with all of his mistakes, he was an obedient man, and he trusted the Lord. He had his moments. And I want to encourage you that too. Even as a Christian tonight, many of you have been walking with the Lord. You may be walking really solidly with him. And there may be something that happens in your life that just brings you down to the dust. Some issue of sin that maybe you hadn't considered for a long time. And all of a sudden it just blindsides you and you get walloped and you fall right into it. Listen, don't wallow in that pity. Don't wallow in that for very long. In fact, I'd encourage you not to wallow in it at all. Confess it and be done with it and continue walking because if you confess it, he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If that is a a, a true promise of God, then how dare we act like it didn't happen or somehow try to atone for it ourselves? You know what I mean by that. So verse 18, now the three sons of Zeruiah were there, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. Her name, Zeruiah, means stricken of the Lord. And we don't know much about her husband. We know in the very last verse of this chapter that he was buried in Bethlehem, which meant he probably died much earlier in the boy's life. And therefore, there's really no mention of him. And so, but Zeruiah, her sons, uh, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. And so Asahel pursued Abner. And think of this, he's the youngest of, of the, the sons of Zeruiah. The other men, Joab, he's really something. Abishai, he's really something. 
I'm sorry, that concludes our program for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.